So the year is 1914. It's about 101 years ago. And a man by the name of Sir Ernest Shackleton is gathering together a group of men for an exploration that he wants to do of Antarctica. Only about a year or two before this, the first uh, human beings finally reached the South Pole. So it was this huge moment in uh, the history of both uh, explorers, adventurers, scientists. Everybody was excited about this. And now it had been proven that it was possible for humans to live that far south and they could get there and get out. And now Shackleton had put together a team. And the plan was to take this ship called the Endurance down um, into the Arctic Circle, into the Antarctic Circle, and get down there and go from one sea to another on land crossing Antarctica as a group of 28 men. That was the plan. Now, there's no good time to plan a trip to Antarctica. <laughs> there are no hammock months or anything like that in Antarctica. And not only that, but a trip of this nature covers an entire year anyway. And so you just sort of have to take a deep breath, dress warm, and go for it. Now picture this. This is 100 years ago, the technology of 100 years ago. This is a sailboat that they're sailing into Antarctica. And they're just going to put on warm clothes and then walk across the ice of Antarctica. This is their plan. Well, they get down there, and as they have been warned, the ice drifts are even more menacing than most years. And their, their ship actually gets caught between ice drifts, and they stop, and they can't break free. And so this is the actual picture of the endurance it's caught between the ice drifts, and as time goes on, the men are just living aboard the ship because there's nothing else you can do. Imagine this, right? You can't radio anybody. It's 1914. You can't Google how to get out of this, right? They, they simply have to live aboard ship and hope they can survive. They, they create a group of uh, team whose job it is to go out every day and hunt seals, so that they can have fat, because fat is necessary for them to stay alive. So they're just trying to get anything to eat. They're stuck in this situation for eight months. Eight months. And then it got worse. The ice drifts began to press together on the ship so that the hull began to crack. And before you knew it, it broke and the water became rushing in. The ship began, the ship began to sink. So they had to unload what they could, most importantly, the three lifeboats off of this ship, and then they had to live on the ice floats and try to survive. Well, they knew they couldn't just stay there forever, so they waited for enough of a break in the weather where they thought perhaps they would have a clear sky for a day or two, and they might be able to navigate by the stars, and they, they um, boarded these three um, lifeboats. And they went across what is the most dangerous and terrifying sea in all of the world with swells that reach 100 feet. And they began to go in lifeboats across this. Well, of course, immediately the sky darkened again and they couldn't navigate. And now they're just, just paddling for their lives, trying to find any place, some place where there's land. Eventually, they notice something in the distance sticking up. It's a rock. They call it an island, it's really a rock. It's called Elephant Island. And it's just basically a rock like a mountain, the top of which sticks up out of the sea. And it's just hard rock. There's no, you couldn't farm there, you couldn't plant anything there. 
but it's actual ground. And they run aground at Elephant Island, and they stay on Elephant Island where they're able to hunt penguins, certain birds, and seals to stay alive. Realizing, though, that they can't just stay there forever, they need help. They have to get rescued. And so what they do is after the beating that their three lifeboats have taken, there's one lifeboat that's in decent shape, and they take the other lifeboats and break them up in order to reinforce the one lifeboat. And they get six men aboard the one lifeboat. They leave 22 men behind on Elephant Island, and six men set out across the sea to try to navigate to a place called South Georgia Island, which is 800 nautical miles away. And in this boat, these six men travel completely frostbitten, so cold above deck that they can only stay above deck for 20 minutes at a time, and then they have to go back below deck again. Water splashing on them, their entire body's frozen and frostbitten, and they are, they are managing to try to navigate without being able to see the stars. And amazingly, over a period of months, they reach South Georgia Island. Now, when they reach South Georgia Island, all six of them are still alive. They know nothing about the condition of the 22 who are left on Elephant Island. But on South Georgia Island, there is a whaling station where there are people. So, They land on South Georgia Island only to realize they have landed on the wrong side of South Georgia Island. The whaling station is on the other side and in between 3,000-foot mountain peaks. And you can't sail around it because the way that the sea is will not allow you to sail around it. So there are three of the six men who are in such grave condition that they cannot go any further. They leave them behind on the shore to fend for themselves And the three men who are well enough to walk get a rope and tie it around each of their waists and form a three-man tether, and they climb the 3,000-foot ice-covered mountains of South Georgia Island with no equipment. And when they get to the top, they reach a peak at about 3,000 feet, and they get to the peak, and they stand there, and they look, and they realize that there is no safe way to get down. They have no mountaineering equipment. They have no ropes and pulleys or anything, just the rope that's holding them together. And so they make a decision together as a team. The decision they make is that they're going to slide down the side of this mountain 2,000 feet in the ice and the snow, and they tie themselves together like a choo-choo train, and they sit down, and they shove off, and they slide down a 3,000-foot mountain. They reach the bottom alive, and after... A few days of walking and wandering, they hear the sound of a whaling boat. And when they hear the sound of that whistle, they move toward the whistle, eventually coming to the whaling station where they are able to find people who have ships and get help. They immediately take the ship and go around the island, and they pick up the three men who are alive and well on the other side, six men safe and sound. But now they have to go see if the 22 might still be alive. So they, they try to hire a ship, but no ship will go because it's too dangerous. Eventually, they pay enough money, they get a price, and a ship goes, and they get out there, and they get within a couple hundred nautical miles of Elephant Island, and the ice flows are so great, they can't go any further, and they have to turn back. They find another ship who's willing to take a chance. They go a month later and try to get out there. They get to about the same spot. The ice flows are too big. They have to turn back. On the third attempt, they finally make 
uh, sight of land, and it's Elephant Island, and there on the edge of Elephant Island are 22 men waving their arms like this. They have been lost at sea for two years. In the most bitter cold anywhere in the world, and they have survived. They reach them, they load them up. All 28 men are returned safely to London where they began two years after they left in 1916. Amazing, right? Now, I don't know where you, how you rank amazing stories, but that's a true story. Everything I just told you is absolutely true, and there's much more to it, okay? That is a true story. The only true story I know that is more amazing than that is Jesus Christ was dead on Friday and alive on Sunday. Other than that, I've never heard of a story more amazing, right? It's absolutely incredible. Lord Shackleton goes down in history as this great man because he was able to get all 28 men of his men home safely. It's an amazing story, but here's the thing. There were 28 of them. Every one of them would have died if it wasn't for the other 27. All 28 of them had a role to play to keep them all alive, even to the point where there were three men tying themselves together with one rope so that they could move as one in the blizzard conditions and stay alive on South Georgia Island. It's an unbelievable story of how important it is for us to not only never give up hope, but secondly, to be dependent upon one another so that we can help each other and accomplish what would be impossible for us alone. And that leads me to this question. Who is your life tied to on your journey? Who have you tethered yourself up with and said, listen, we're going to do this together because together we can do it, but apart we're sure to fail. There are people in all of our lives upon whom we are dependent, whether we want to admit it or not. We need them. We need them for encouragement. We need them for friendship. We need them for sustenance. We need them to help us up when we have a hand and, we, and when we've fallen and we need a hand to get up. We need them to challenge us and to encourage us and to give us what it takes to move on. Every one of us is in need of that. Life is a dangerous and challenging journey. And you cannot, notice I did not say should not, you cannot do it alone. You will not succeed if you decide that, hey, I'm an independent spirit, I'm kind of an introvert, I'm kind of my own person, I like to do things my own way, don't really like a lot of other people getting in the way, I'm just going to do this on my own. Guess what? I promise you, you will fail. You say, what do you mean fail? Well, the purpose of life is to be pleasing to God. God says he has an abundant life that he has designed for us to live, and you cannot live it if you try to live it by yourself. Now, hopefully that's uh, pretty self-evident. Hopefully you already know that. But here's the challenge. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it intentionally? To say, I'm going to make sure that I, that I put my life together with people that will bring me and help me to get to where I need to go on my journey. Because you can, you can open your Bible to any page. Just open it up and you are likely to find a story or a context in which it is speaking about people who are on a journey. You go to the book of Genesis and you're going to find that God calls Abraham and he says, I want you to just follow me to a place that I will show you. And the whole rest of the book of Genesis, most of it anyway, is about Abraham's journey. And the interesting thing about Abraham's journey is it's never about a destination. The destination is always for some future generation that's coming down the road, right? 
But Abraham never settles. All he does is walk with God. And he's the father of faith. He's the one that teaches us how to walk by faith, right? You turn to Exodus and you go, okay, look, God does this amazing thing with the 10 plagues and he delivers the people from Egypt. It's incredible, the deliverance, right? You go, that is the highlight of the story. That's the crescendo of the whole thing. He delivers them out of slavery, out of darkness into light. It's an amazing story. That's the crescendo. No, it's not. That's the beginning of the story. Because after that, they come up to a Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and they go through the Red Sea. And what do they do for the next 40 years? They journey with God. And he goes before them in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. And they follow God and he speaks to them and he provides for them and they walk with him. And then you flip ahead to the New Testament and you see Jesus walking along the shores of Galilee and there are these fishermen out there in the boats and he yells out to them. He says, hey guys, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they drop everything and they follow him and they become his disciples. And there are 12 men eventually who just spend time with Jesus for three years. They go wherever he goes, whatever he teaches, they listen to, whatever he says, they do. And they just go with him and they, excuse me, they live with him. And they're on this journey with him. And as you read the Gospels, what's it about? It's about Jesus' journey, and he was here, and he went there, and he was here, and he went there, and then he went there, and he did this, and then he went here, and he did this. And who's with him all the time? All of those disciples on this journey, right? And then we find Paul's writings, and he writes all these letters. And what does he say over and over again in the letters? He says, you're walking a walk. I want to teach you how to walk it correctly. And Paul's favorite metaphor for the Christian life is the walk or the journey. And he calls us to this walk. So what's my point? My point is life, my friends, is a journey. We think that it's about a destination. Even even as Christians, we tend to go, oh, it's about a destination. It's about get to heaven, right? If I get to heaven, finally, the journey will be over. And that's the point. No, when you get to heaven, that's just like the the, uh, children of Israel getting out of Egypt. The story is about to begin, when you get to heaven. It's still a journey. It's a journey. It's a walk with God. And we have to learn to walk with God. And here's the deal about walking with God. If you try to do it on your own, you will always fail miserably. It's a difficult journey. It takes courage. It takes endurance. It takes faith. But it takes a team of people who will help you along the way. You try to do it by yourself and you got no shot. So we've been talking about the voice of God. How do I hear the voice of God? How do I know when he's speaking? What do I do when I think I hear the voice of God? What are the ways in which he speaks? And we've, we've narrowed it down to, to three major categories. And we've said, although there are other ways that God speaks because he's God and he can do it in any way he wants to, these three major categories we've said, he speaks through his word, the Bible, right? And we've said that you can trust his word and it becomes the measuring stick for all other truth. It's the primary way that God has spoken to us throughout the generations, the word of God, and he's still speaking today. Another way that he speaks, and this one was the one we talked about last week, and it's a little harder to sort of wrap yourself around and get down and figure out, but, but he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit who lives within the life of every Christian. So that if you're a follower of Jesus, he says that he gives you his Holy Spirit, not just to come alongside of you, not to just visit with you, not to just drop in and help you in times of need, but to live within you. And the Holy Spirit dwells in your life, and it becomes this partnership as you begin to walk with God in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's a much uh, more subjective thing. A lot of times, God's voice comes through the Holy Spirit just from the inside, and you know he's prompting you to something, or, or sometimes he's 
he's just making you aware of something, or maybe he's comforting you or encouraging you or convicting you of sin, but the Holy Spirit is working from within you, and that's one of the ways that he speaks. Today, we're going to get to this third whole category, which is that God speaks through the wise counsel of other people. We can't do this alone. You say, well, why do we even need to hear from God anyway? Well, everything rides on it, that's why. You, you maybe heard this famous quote from Samuel Smiles. He said, sow a thought and reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. It, it begins in your thought, doesn't it? It begins with your ideas. It begins with what motivates you and how you go. And you may think that this is just a simple step, but every step you take is a step in a certain direction, and every path leads somewhere, Right? This is about your destiny. This is about your life. Can I hear from God? Or am I actually just giving, listening to all of my own ideas and the ideas of other people? Is it God's ideas that are driving me? And how do I know? There's a lot at stake. It all begins with your thoughts. And so let's begin with this question for ourselves. Who's speaking into your life? Who is it? Is there, is there anybody who actually intentionally speaks into your life? who tries to help you, who tries to teach you, who tries to encourage you, who comes alongside of you as a support system, as a helper. And, and not only is it, are there people who are doing that specifically and intentionally, but there's a whole bunch of other people who are speaking into your life, and they're not even doing it on purpose. You don't even realize they're speaking, but they are, right? There are voices coming in from everywhere, all kinds of... Um, Entities, people, and organizations who are trying to influence you. For example, Madison Avenue, American Advertising, spends over $200 billion a year trying to get you to buy products. $200 billion a year. Everything from billboards to magazine ads to, to internet pop-ups. They're doing everything they can to try to influence you in some way. And, and it's not just that anymore. Because social media has obviously come to stay, right? It's not going away. It may evolve, it may become different, but it's not going away. So those of you who have decided, I'm too old to learn about social media, well, don't bother with it. But the rest of you, you better figure it out because it's out there and it's not going away. And you know what's happening in social media? It's not just Madison Avenue that's trying to reach you, although they are active in social media. But everybody's ideas are out there. Never before have we had such access to so many ideas all at once. I mean, if you're a Twitter follower and you follow a bunch of people on Twitter, your phone blows up all day long because everybody who wants to let you know that they had Cheerios for breakfast is tweeting about it. And usually you get a picture of the Cheerios to go with it, right? And, and if you're on Facebook and Instagram and all those kind of things, you are inundated with ideas. And how often do you read something that someone posts or tweets or puts on social media somehow, and you just shake your head and go, oh my gosh, what a bunch of baloney. Like 90% of it, right? Thoughts just bombarding your mind. You're swimming in that stuff. I'm swimming in that stuff. People trying to influence you. You got regular old mainstream media, and it doesn't matter what your politics are. If you're liberal, then you can watch your news on this station, and they'll say things the way you like it. If you're conservative, you can watch your news on this station, and they'll say things the way you like it, and none of them are teaching you the news. They're giving you propaganda that is based on their idea, and the days of the news media being, um, being neutral are gone, right? As far as we can tell. And by the way, 
it is a political campaign year, right? So who else is trying to get your attention and, and give you ideas? Politicians, right? And so, by the way, have you noticed that global warming becomes a big issue anytime there's... Uh, um, it's because I think all of the global warming is coming from the mouths of the politicians. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Ideas, 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 thoughts, influences. Everybody trying to influence you. Hollywood and um, your friends, peer pressure. Oh my gosh. You go, well, I'm, I'm an adult. I don't have peer pressure. That's just for kids. Oh, really? You live in it, right? Now, think about this too. When you're a teenager, those of you who are still teenagers, then you, you'll really relate to this, but the rest of us used to be teenagers. When you were a teenager, who influenced you more, your parents or your friends? No question, right? You don't even have to think about that. Um, and, and now that you're an adult and you can look back, do you not just slap your head and go, what the heck was I thinking listening to those people, Right? And now you look and you go, man, my parents actually had some wisdom and my friends were a bunch of idiots, right? And I didn't realize it at the time. But they, those idiots, they're just as dumb as you were. They were influencing you dramatically. And a big part of who you are today comes from them, right? Because it begins with a thought and it reaps a destiny. So what we think about is important. And so whose voice should we be listening to? Whose voice should we be acting upon? I want you to, we're going to jump through a bunch of verses. A lot of them are in Proverbs. So take your Bible and go to the book of Proverbs. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 14 for a jumping off point. It's kind of the middle of your Bible, Old Testament, right after Psalms, you'll find the book of Proverbs. And, and Proverbs is an interesting book because it's just wise sayings, one after another, after another, after another. And when you get to Proverbs chapter 14, I want you to look at verse 12, Proverbs 14, 12. It's a famous verse. It's brilliant. Here's what it says. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It's repeated again and again in the Proverbs, that verse. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So you can consider an idea, think about something and go, I think I know the thing that's right. And no matter how smart you are, there's a good chance that what you think is right isn't right. And not only may it not be right, it may be dangerously wrong. It may lead to death, even though it seems right to a man. Now, I want you to go to the um, book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55. This too is a famous passage, Isaiah chapter 55, also Old Testament, just a few books to the right of Proverbs. And I want us to look in Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is the key, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now you can argue with God if you want to, but according to the word of God, he's saying, with all due respect, we're pretty stupid. 
That's basically what he's saying. He's saying, you know what, if we were to, if we were to uh, you know, gauge people's thoughts, the value of their thoughts, that, that human thoughts would be way down here on the bottom of the ladder, and God's thoughts would be so far up that you can't even see them from where we are. And so if you're going to have your life guided by something, would you ha- rather have it guided by your own thoughts, or would you rather have it guided by the voice of God? whose ways are higher than your ways, whose thoughts are higher than your thoughts, right? It seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Except those of us who have no brain don't do it so well. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And since other people can have such influence on us, then one of the things that God may use to direct our thoughts is the voice of other people. The problem is, it might not be God when other people speak. So we have this problem. Who do I listen to? How do I know? How can I get my life guided in a way that I tether myself with people who actually think the thoughts of God, speak the words of God, and are going in the direction of God so that they can influence me? Because if you think people aren't influencing you, you're wrong. I want you to go to the book of Psalms, okay? So you are in Proverbs. Psalms right before Proverbs. Go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a great, great passage. Six verses highly recommend that you memorize it. This is one of those passages that is worth memorizing. We're just going to look at the beginning part of Psalm 1, and then we'll see how it ends. Psalm 1, verse 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Let me summarize that. How blessed is the man who doesn't have idiots for friends. That's what it's saying, okay? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In other words, it's the voice of God that he's getting, not the voice of idiots. Verse 3, this man, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Isn't that good? That, That it's possible, if we're hearing the voice of God, to live a life that is prosperous in every season. Because you may have heard the story that I told the beginning about Shackleton and his men and go, well, thank God I'm never going to face a trial like that. You may not face a trial like that, but you're going to face some trials, right? Life has its seasons, and those seasons come, and sometimes it's winter, and sometimes there's pain, and you're going to go through some hard times. What would it be like to not wither up when those times come? How valuable would that be? Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In other words, how many ways does God have to say it? There is a voice that he is speaking that is the right truth that we need to dial into. And when we get that, we will prosper. But when we're listening to the wrong voices in our lives, we will perish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. There was a guy named Rehoboam. It's in uh, 1 Kings, his story. 1 Kings chapter 12. We won't turn there, but let me just tell you the story. Rehoboam, he was the son of Solomon, the king of Israel. Okay? So David had a son, Solomon. Solomon had a son, Rehoboam. And when, when Solomon died, Rehoboam became the king of Israel. Okay? And you can read his story in 1 Kings chapter 12, but what happens is as soon as he is anointed as king, he gathers a group just like any president. When they get elected, what do they do? They get a cabinet and a group of advisors, right, to help them. 
So he's the king. He needs a group of advisors. So what does he do? He goes to his father's advisors. Now, his father is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. How wise are the guys who advise Solomon, right? I'm pretty sure he has some wise men advising him, okay? So he goes to Solomon's advisors, and he says, how should I rule the people? And they say, listen, toward the end of your father's life, he was way too harsh with the people. He raised the taxes too much. He required too much of them. He pressed them down and made their lives difficult. And the people are crying out, and they are hoping that you will give them relief. I think you need to give them some relief. You need to back off and begin to give a time of prosperity to the land so the people will follow you. And he listens to them. And then he says, okay, guys, you guys can go. And he gets out his cell phone and he goes through his contact list and he finds all the guys that were in his fraternity with him in college. And he, and he texts all those guys and he says, I want you to come to a meeting at the palace. And all of the guys that he grew up with, all of his buddies that he used to hang out on the street with, they come and he asks them, what do you guys think? And they say, we think you should tell the people to quit whining. That if, they're, if your father was tough on them, you'll be twice as tough. You need, to, you need to rule with an iron fist and show them. And who does he listen to? The wise men who advised his wise father or the idiots he went to school with? He listens to idiots. And as a result, the nation of Israel is destroyed almost overnight. It is split, it crumbles, and his reign goes down in history as one of the worst reigns in the history of Israel. He ruins everything because of the voices that he chooses to listen to. Do you think it's important whose voice you're listening to? See, together... We can hear God's voice in a way that we can't always hear Him by ourselves. You may have a really sincere desire to know the voice of God, and you may even say, well, I'm just going to go to the Scripture because the Scripture is the clearest way to hear the voice of God. Good for you. You've been listening. So you go to the Scripture, and you begin to study, and you see a passage, and you don't quite understand it. Now, it may be that you haven't been studying the Bible for that long, and maybe you don't have that much background in the Bible, and so you see a verse, and you go, wow, this is weird. I don't get this. And so what do you do? You go to some people who've been studying the Bible a long time, who have wisdom and have been walking with God for a long time, and you ask them, and they go, oh yeah, there's this other verse over here in James that I need to show you because it fits together with that. And when you put those verses together, you really understand it. And you go, oh, right? And then some of us, we just don't have as much life experience as other people. There's all kinds of ways to get wisdom. One of them is gray hair or no hair in some cases, right? There's certain wisdom that only comes with age. And, and, you know, as a nation, we are so ridiculous in the way that we disrespect the elderly and we want to cast off older people because we feel like, well, what are they contributing to the economy and all that kind of stuff? Oh my gosh, the collective wisdom that nobody's asking any advice of blows my mind. There's, you may be young and you just need to be around somebody who has more life experience than you do. The bottom line is this, whatever the situation, you don't have enough knowledge, wisdom, understanding, or experience to know for sure when you're hearing the voice of God at all times. And it is really helpful to have people around you who are godly, who love God, and who love His Word, who can help you with that. You say, no, I'm more the isolation type. There's a giant room in Washington, D.C. It's a huge building, and it, is, uh, it houses the portraits 
of all of the people who have successfully gotten through life by themselves. And there are no portraits on the wall. It can't be done. It can't be done. Not that it shouldn't be done, not that it's unwise to try. It can't be done. You're not going to do it by yourself. I want to show you what the Bible says about this. Back to the book of Proverbs again. And, and literally, I could read you a hundred verses like this, but I'm going to just give you four or five. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. What's the difference between a fool and a wise man? One listens to counsel and the other one thinks he knows. Okay? Go to 11.14, Proverbs 11.14. By the the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the... Well, that's not the word. That's uh, verse 11. Verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Where there is no guidance, destruction. In abundance of counselors, victory. You, You say, well, does that mean I have to just take everyone's advice? No. But how does it hurt you to get their advice? What's, what do you have to lose by getting someone's advice and then measuring it, right? So let's continue. Chapter 15, verse 22, Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Go back to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4, 13. Take hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Man, those are bold statements. You need instruction. You need counsel. You need somebody who cares enough about you who will say, listen, I see this in your life and I need to talk to you about it because I think you're on a wrong path. And they'll do it in love. You need counselors. When people take the approach that it's just me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit, they always fail because God did not create us to live that way. We can't live that way. God can speak through all kinds of people. By the way, if you're married, you may not like what I'm about to say, but if you are married, you should expect God to speak through your spouse because he does. You may be thinking, you don't know my spouse, but I know God. The scripture says that when he brings two together, he makes them one. And and it says that two are better than one. And that when you become one with your spouse, it is very common. You should expect that when God has something to say it to you, he may say it to your spouse first and you may hear it from your spouse. And we might automatically just go, no, I'm not listening to my spouse. I'm going to go listen to God. Really, God's speaking through your spouse. I'm not saying every idea your spouse has is a good one. Otherwise, my wife would be a season ticket holder to all kinds of stuff, right? I'm not saying that every idea your spouse has is a good one, but I'm saying it is normal for God to speak to us through our spouse. It's normal for God to speak to us through our parents, especially those of us who are younger. It's normal. It's one of the things that he does. Are our parents always right? Of course not. But oftentimes, God might speak through our parents. He might speak through our close friends, which is why it's so important to choose your close friends carefully, right? 
He may speak through our pastors, our elders, our biblical counselors. There's all kinds of ways that God may speak. But sometimes we're not even listening. We don't seek wise counsel. And you know why? Because we don't want to hear it. Sometimes in my life, I don't want to hear it. I can have somebody as wise as Dave, who is very wise, and he and I are very close, come alongside, put his arm around me, and go, hey, can I talk to you about this? And my answer is, no, not really. I don't want to hear it. There are times when I'm just going to go do my own thing, and I don't want to hear it, and those times never end well. But sometimes we just don't want to hear it. We don't want God butting in and ruining our plans. So let me just ask you to think about a question. Do you want to live an abundant, successful life? Or do you want to run your own life? Because you can't do both. Either you can be your own boss, you can be your own king, you can be your own lord, you can do your own thing, or you can live an abundant, successful life. But you can't do both at the same time. And at some point, you just have to choose. We've been talking for weeks now about how to hear the voice of God. But perhaps this is a good time to ask ourselves a question. Do I honestly want to hear the voice of God? Am I willing to respond in obedience when I do hear His voice? Do I trust Him to have the right counsel in the first place? Because when we're looking at God's will, we usually want Him to say something like, take this road and you will win, right? But actually, when we look at Scripture, one of the things we're going to have to come to grips with is sometimes the voice of God is not saying the things we want to hear. If, if We won't turn there, but you, you know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He leads me to beside still waters, makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. I mean, the first three verses of Psalm 23, yes, yes, green pastures, still waters, restored soul, so great to follow this shepherd. And then you go to verse four and it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you go, what? What happened to the green pastures and the quiet waters? I was following the good shepherd and he led me into the valley of the shadow of death? What is that about? I don't know what it's about. All I know is he does it all the time. It's very common for God to lead you into the valley of the shadow of death. In, Mark, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it tells us that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We usually think about getting tempted by the devil as I wandered off, and when I got in a place I shouldn't have been, there was temptation. I'm telling you, Jesus himself followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and the whole purpose of it was that he could be tempted. Sometimes God is going to lead us into dark places. Why does he do that? Because it's in those dark places that he does amazing work in our lives, right? We know that theoretically. But when we see a dark place, we automatically stop and go, oh, that can't be God. That can't be God leading me. You know what? Sometimes God's leading us to a place that we'd rather not go because he wants to make us into who he wants to make us into, and the abundant life depends upon it. So let's just say, we're, we're, our church, we're led by a group of elders, and let's just say that the, the elders call me in and they say, we're going to have a meeting, and at the elders' meeting, they say, listen, Doug, we've all been talking and meeting without you. And we've come to a decision. We've decided to double your pay, and we want you to take summers off in Hawaii. I'm good with that, right? I'm like, the voice of God has just spoken through the elders, right? But what if that meeting doesn't go exactly like that? What if they call me in and they say, listen, Doug, this thing that you're so passionate about, that you're so dedicated to, that you've been trying to lead the church to, we're convinced you're going the wrong direction. We need to put a stop to it, and we need to go a different direction. 
You know what I think then? Why am I surrounded by idiots? Why are these guys such fools? Don't they know that I know the way? There's a way. It seems right to me. Am I going to listen to God even when the voice of God may not be what I want it to be? I've gotten myself in a lot of trouble when I said, oh, God wouldn't lead me there. I want to be a follower of God. And here's the thing. I can't do it by myself. That's why I think, among other reasons, Jesus called his disciples together. And when he called them, there was this group, and they did life together as a group. And in the context of that group, they became the leaders of the church. And there was a time when it was the most crucial, most painful, most difficult thing they were about to go through when Jesus was going to go to the cross. He knew. He knew what was going to happen. And he knew how devastating it would be to these guys. He knew, in other words, that he, by the will of God, was about to lead them into the valley of the shadow of death, and they were going to go and they were going to freak out, which is exactly what happened, right? And so he wanted to prepare them. So he sat them down and he gathered them around the Passover table, and he taught them that they are one with one another and one with him. And that if they will embrace oneness with him in the context of community, that his will will be done in their lives. And that was a time when he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is given for you. Take it and eat it. That was a time when he poured out the wine and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's about grace and not works. These are the things you guys are going to have to cling to. Nothing matters more. And you're going to need each other through this. And one by one, they shared from the same loaf. And one by one, they drank from the same cup. And one by one, they celebrated that what Jesus was doing, he wasn't just doing for me, he was doing for us. And he was going to make us the body of Christ. And that as the body of Christ, we would be celebrating his grace forevermore. That's why we have the elements today for the Lord's Supper. We want us, to, we want us all to be thinking about the fact that he hasn't just called us as individuals. How wonderful that he loves you so much that even if nobody else had ever sinned, he would have sent his son to die just for you. I'm convinced of it. But we all sinned. We all fell. And we've all been offered the grace of Jesus through his blood. And for every one of us who has accepted his grace, for every one of us who has submitted our lives to his authority and said, yes, you can be Lord. I'm gonna, I choose the abundant life over the life that I'm in charge of. I'm going to let you drive this car. For those of us who have said that, the Holy Spirit is within us. And that same Holy Spirit that is within me is also within Dave. And that same Holy Spirit that is within me is also within Bobby. And that same Holy Spirit that is within me is also within Steve. And it's within all of us. And together, we're the body of Christ. Listen, we can't do it alone. But together, we can walk with Jesus, and God will change our lives.